Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm William. This is the podcast where we talk about everything tabletop role-playing games. And today we are talking about Star Spawn. Hey Brian. Hey Will. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Do we have to talk about Spelljammer today? Uh, Not at all. Oh, man. Not at all, actually. I, I mean, saw, I saw somebody compare Spelljammer to a wet fart. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the greatest book. The 5e iteration. Yeah, the 5e of the iteration. Most yeah, Not it wasn't Spelljammer the as a whole, which I enjoy. Wet fart, though, that's that's quite the commendation. Oh, I think gosh. so. The thing that gave birth to the Aster Eater. Are we going to talk about the Aster Eater? No, today? It, it tried to slay the Aster Eater by renaming it the Eyemonger. Yeah. Which is a travesty. Oh, Spelljammer did, not the Star Spawn. No, not the star spawn. Okay, no. Okay. Yes, it did try to slay the Aster Eater. <laughs> Leave the Aster Eater alone. <laughs> okay. Big fans on this show. Go listen to our Aster Eater. Or what episode is that? <laughs> That's it's not, not the um... Aster Eater episode. <laughs> it <laughs> no. couldn't carry a whole episode, although maybe it could. Goddamn well could. Maybe we should um... do a Patreon centric Aster Eater episode. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. We can't Aster Eat our patrons. No. They might like it. They might be into it. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Okay. It's one of our Beholder episodes. It's one where we did like a multiple. So I think we did right. like the Eye of Flame, the Eye of the Deep, um, a couple others. It's on one of those. It's on one of those. Go to go to our Discord <laughs> and they know what episode it Yeah, is. everyone will link you to it. <laughs> okay, so last patron topic. By the way, t- today's a patron topic episode. Uh, last patron topic episode poll. It was neck and neck. Uh, race to the finish between Obox Ob, the Prince of Vermin, and step-by-step dungeon building. Okay. Uh, Obox Ob, we all know one. It beat out the competition by a mere 2%. It was narrow. So Sorry, when, dungeon builder folks. Indeed. There were plenty of you, but right. that's how this works. So when this month's poll went up, I assuredly thought step-by-step dungeon building is going to prevail. There's no way. It wasn't even close last time. Mm-hmm. Then Star Spawn with the steel chair, chair comes out of nowhere and obliterates <laughs> the competition. Watch out, watch out, watch out! <laughs> it was like 52% or something like that of the vote all on Star Spawn. Oh, the rest wow. was split down like sub-20. I so, see. So everyone changed their mind. Indeed. Okay, well, um, I mean, that happens. Will, 
you, there are Dungeon Builder episodes you can go listen to that are very good. I think yes. your special guest Jake and I do one, and you and mm-hmm. I do one. We did, we did a couple. Very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, they're funny. But I think, I think the idea with the step by step dungeon building is they want like a more in depth, not less randomized version. Yeah, like a how to, a how to. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about aliens today. Aliens. Uh, Spawn of the stars themselves, depending on the edition that we're talking about. Okay. So star spawn were actually invented in fourth edition, as far as my research can tell. Uh, they are a really unique and interesting take on Lovecraftian-type monsters. Uh, when they were included in 5e, they came out quite a bit different. Uh, still interesting, but different. As with a lot of things with 5e, if it wasn't already related to Forgotten Realms, then it was either going to get dropped completely or, worse, shoehorned into the setting. Mm. Starspawn have been forced down the latter route alongside the Raven Queen and others. I see, shoehorned. <clears throat> okay. Indeed. So, what is a Starspawn? I would like to know. Well, in the simplest terms, Starspawn are entities that appear on the material plane by the will of an elder evil. An elder evil? No. Like a for, for a far realm creature? That's a great question. Okay. Right? Because I pose the question, what is an elder eater? Is that like an elder yeah, emo? Elder evil. What? Is that like an elder emo? Like a like a 35-year-old person that listened to emo? <laughs> no, it's nothing like that. Okay. <laughs> You know I'm 34. <laughs> you know I'm 34. Yeah, that's true. I know you are. It was just our birthdays, by the way. Indeed, Will and I have birthdays about a month apart. About, yeah. We don't we usually tell everybody that's about true. it. That's true. But you can true. wish us happy birthday <clears throat> on this episode, I guess. So what is an elder evil? To that, I say what is a, that is a good question. Elder evil seems to be a term given to a lot of different entities throughout the cosmos. It seems to me, at least, to be a catch-all for any powerful godlike entity who doesn't quite fit into any of the more mainstream categories of god, demon lord, primordial. Arch Devil, Great Old One, Arch Fay, etc. Because they listen to Fallout Boy. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Is Fallout Boy emo though? Yeah. They're super pop. I mean, they're the most pop of the emo, probably. Probably. We can debate that all day. That's but true. This isn't the place. It's I not apologize. my genre, anyways. Let's go back. Although a lot of official elder evils can also fall into the primordial or great old one categories. So there's a little bit of crossover. I see. The truth is, most elder evils have very little in common, save for two facts. They are quite old and they are very, very likely to be pretty evil. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking tracks. Well named. Well named. This is, of course, accepting 4th Edition's take on Elder Evils. 4th Edition, as we all know, flies in the face of D&D, uh, deep D&D lore's tendency towards obscurity and says with its chin held up high, I will not be vague or undefined. I will be very well explained and comprehensive. Uh-huh. Everything shall be organized and have a rightful place. And in doing so, I will upheave and fuck up everything that came before me and make everything that comes after me that much more hard to explain to new people in the hobby. I'm sorry, why is this in quotes in your notes? And also, <laughs> it's the only time I've ever seen you red, bold, underline anything. <laughs> because I, This I'm is just, clearly you, right? Yes, it's clearly quoting me. quoting yourself? I am quoting myself. <laughs> but I'm quoting myself pretending as if I'm 4th edition speaking out. I mean, I love it. <laughs> that being said, uh, also in 4th edition fashion... Their elder evil slash starspawn lore is pretty fucking cool. All right. And so I'm going to do the thing I do every once in a while on this show and let you decide which lore slash version is cooler, even if the answer is obviously fourth edition. Which sometimes, I mean, more likely it might be. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> let And by what Will means by that is let us know in the comments if you're on YouTube. and <laughs> Which like, version do you like better? Yeah, like tell us. I, I would love to know. Uh, and I'll give you my two cents at the end because <clears throat> I don't really know what this is quite yet, but I will. You know what? Fuck it. We're going to start with the 5e version. I usually start with the older version first, but no, we're going to start with 5e version first. Okay. I don't mind that. The material plane represents only one small part of the multiverse. 
Beyond the best-known planes of existence lie realms alien to mortal life. Some are so hostile that even a moment's contact is enough to break a mortal's mind. Yet beings do exist that are native to these realms, entities that are ever-hungering, searching, warring, and sometimes dreaming. Mm. These elder evils are far older, far older than most of the mortal peoples and always inimical to such a creature's mind. Interesting. <clears throat> Funnily enough, 5e D&D does go out of its way to say that these elder evils that birth Starspawn are definitely not stars. Direct quote attributed to Mordenkainen out of Mordenkainen's Monsters of the Multiverse. <clears throat> Did you want to read it? Stars don't spawn these creatures. Such beautiful lights shouldn't be blamed for such balefulness. Now, I find this hilarious because in 4e, the edition that Starspawn came out in, specifically say Starspawn are born directly of stars. <laughs> but we'll save that for the 4e lore section. Of they the had the karate chop that block they right did. in half. Yeah, it's, it's, yes, was, they did. I was assuming <clears throat> that the quote is attributed to Mordenkainen, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. great wizard. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. So uh, I hope I did uh, the vocal good. I, I very much enjoyed it. Thanks. However much they might desire to enter and dominate the material plane, though, the elder evils are unable or unwilling to leave their realms. Some are imprisoned in their dimensions by external forces. Some are inextricably bound to their home realities. And others simply can't find a, any way out. <clears throat> are we going to get into what those, uh, like, they're in, like, extra... Extra areas? dimensional, extra dimensional, outside the bounds of reality, separate universes. That's kind of weird. Yeah, they're so doing everything but saying the far realm. It's hilarious. Okay, me. okay, cool. But like their own, maybe their own far realm bubble. I guess. Sure, blisters on the surface. They're they're the really planes. leaving it up to you in a way. Uh, Although again, a lot of the things that count as elder evils, specifically in Forgotten Realms, are like very strange primordial creatures, like Dendar, the Night Serpent. Okay. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't know that much about Dendar, but they're like a demigod-slash-god-level entity that doesn't fall into any of the categories. It's just older than time itself or something like that. Yeah, one of that one of those things. It's just, okay. it's just really old and pretty evil, so they call it an elder <laughs> evil. Fair enough. We have a sub—it's like a subcategory of a Far Realm creature or like a Lovecraft— Yeah, Except I for Dendar, you. the Night Serpent, has nothing to do with— as far as I know, aberrations or the Far Realm or, or Eldritch entities, it's but it counts. special brand. Exactly. Okay. <clears throat> All right, back to 5e lore. The creatures known as Starspawn are the heralds, servants, and soldiers of the Elder Evils, capable of taking on forms that can journey to the material plane. They arrive most often in the wake of a comet, or perhaps this phenomenon merely signals that the Starspawn are in the vicinity and available for communication. When the signs are right, cultists gather together, read aloud their blasphemous texts, and conduct the mind-searing rituals that guide Starspawn into the world. So, and there's an omen... Or the omen is the cause. It's up to you, once He's, again. Indeed. Okay. So Mordenkainen's presents us with five possible elder evil candidates, including a unique blessing each candidate gives their cultists. Uh, disciples of certain elder evils can bestow supernatural gifts on those who serve that cult, including Starspawn. <clears throat> the following powers are unique to specific cults. Typically, a creature has only one. So first up, we have the Elder Evil that is the most in line with 4th edition Starspawn Elder Evil lore. As such, it is by far the coolest one we're going to talk about today until we talk about 4th edition lore. Okay. And it's called Atropus, the World Born Dead. 
<clears throat> cool. Okay. Atrus, known as the World Born Dead, is an alien entity whose coming is a harbinger of death and destruction. Some sages speculate that Atropos was created when Ao created the first gods, though they don't have a unified theory about how it was born. Some claim Atropos is the rotting amniotic fluid of the first god of death, while others believe he is a divine mistake by Ao, the last god formed that arrived dead upon creation. Others state that it that he is really one of the primordials. Now, the cool thing, one of the many cool things about Atropos, the world undead, is he's literally an undead planet. Yeah, okay. And it's fucking cool looking. That That is, we have we talked about that before? We've talked about, I think you brought up on, I think it was the Cosmic Horror episode about like actual like planets yeah. being um, like, uh, like actual celestial bodies being like eldritch entities. Yes. And I didn't, hadn't heard of anything uh, from 5e. Now I have. Oh, cool. Can you but, remind um, me who Ao mm-hmm. is? Is that like Anam? Ao is the all-father yeah, of all-father. the gods. Like, like Anam says he's the all-father, but Ao is the all-father. He's, oh, he's okay. beyond even the highest level god you could think of. Like, he created all the gods of Forgotten Realms. I see. Yeah. Got it. <clears throat> so, the Cult of Atrevis Elder Blessing. Uh, you can read these if you want, but this is... Theoretically, the followers of this elder evil, including the star spawn that it births, get this blessing. Okay, yeah, I'll go for it since it's here. The cult of Atropos Elder Blessing. It's got a gaze of corruption that recharges on a roll of six on the D6. The cultist uh, targets one creature it can see within 30 feet of it. Uh, The target must succeed on a DC 15 constitution saving throw or take 16, that's 3D10 necrotic damage, and be poisoned for one minute. The poison target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself on a success. Very nice. Next up, we have Borum of the Lake of Boiling Mud. Borum is definitely a primordial. He looks like a giant mud elemental man. Okay. And one of what are considered the seven lost gods. Uh, Seven ancient demi-deities that bowed before Bane, the former, maybe current, I'm not up to date with Forgotten Realms, god of tyranny. Like I said, he looks like a giant mud element. Yeah, is Diggy, like, is his brain, like, going off Oh, right yeah, now? definitely. He's going to be in the comments letting everyone know exactly what Bane's status, current status is and who the last seven gods are. Hi, and Diggy. thank you for it, Diggy, because Hi, Diggy. you're doing the work that I can't do myself. Man. Yeah, you're killing it in the Discord, man. People <laughs> have Forgotten Realms questions. You're our guy. Indeed. Uh, that gives us the Cult of Borum Elder Blessing. Borum's Embrace is a once per day. The cultist touches one creature within five feet of it. The target must succeed on a DC 15 dexterity saving throw or be coated in sticky steaming mud. While it is coated in this way, the target's speed is halved and can't use reactions, and it takes 10 or 3d6 fire damage at the start of each of its turns, because the mud is boiling, right? (laughs) The effect lasts for one minute until the cultist is incapacitated or dies, or until the target is immersed in water. There you go. Next, we have Hask, the voice of Hargit. Excuse me. Another one of the seven lost gods who bowed to Bane. Hargit is a worm-like abomination with a gargantuan mouth filled with countless rows of teeth. Its skin is a poisonous green covered in red sores with veins and organs somewhat visible beneath. Hask is is actually a symbiote uh, attached to an outside... Attached to the outside of an el- another Elder Evil's body, Hargit, the Grey Pestilence. Okay, so something parasitic in nature. Yeah, it was actually, it used to be like, a, I think, a mortal man who was like the leader of a cult, who then, I think, Bane beat the shit out of, and then it, it's... And he fell to it, Earth. It's a Forgotten Realm story. Found Eddie Brock <laughs> after finding Peter Parker. Yep, that's, that's the one. Okay. Uh, cult of Hask, Elder Blessing. <clears throat> 
Hask's presence. What's a once per day? I'm <laughs> assuming when we say once per day that these are four E specific since they have once per days. No, this is all five E. All five E. That's this interesting. Is all so once- this is stuff that you can attach to monsters that serve these star spawn or elder evils. So what it actually means is once per long rest, or is it actually once per day? Well, monsters get like per day stuff. Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. Okay, yeah. I see. So the cultist uh, transforms into a tiny slug-like being and teleports onto the shoulder of a humanoid that it can see within 30 feet of it, then it crawls into your ear and you can transform into animals. Just kidding. The targeted humanoid must succeed on a DC 15 charisma saving throw or be charmed by the cultist. While the target is charmed, the cultist has control of it on the target's next turn. At the end of that turn, the cultist teleports to an unoccupied space it can see within 30 feet of it and returns to its normal form. The cultist can't be targeted directly by an attack or other effect while it is in the slug-like form, but it is subject to areas of effect as normal. So it can take AOE damage, but you can't specifically hit it with your sword or whatnot. Indeed. Next up, we have Thar's Dune, the chain god. Interesting. I'm not going to get too into Thar's Dune. He has his own episode and is on a completely different level from the rest of these Elder Evils. Check out that episode to hear more. A very interesting deity. Um, probably and also one of an the interesting most person to put on this list. Yeah, it's kind of out of place, huh? Yeah, I think so. I don't think it fits any of the lore that I know about, but... I guess they're categorizing him like this, so... Yeah. Uh, Cult of Thar's Dune, Elder Blessing. Uh, Thar's Dune Spark recharges on a roll of six on the D6. As a bonus action, the cultist touches a simple or martial weapon or a natural weapon if it has one. The next creature hit by the touched weapon must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom saving throw or have disadvantage on all ability checks. The affected creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each minute, ending the effect on itself on a success. So on hit, it will last a minute. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, you can't just save out of it later. No. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Finally, we have Tyranthraxus, the Flamed One. Another one of the seven gods forced to bow to Bane. This one is odd in that it doesn't have a body or form. Instead, it possesses others' bodies at its whim. Its goal is to one day possess every single living thing on the material plane. Like, all at once or all like at, one at a time? All at once. Okay. All at once. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got Will, we got Brian. <laughs> Who's next? Moving on. Uh, the cult of Tyranthraxus, Elder Blessing, Radiant Flames once per day. Excuse me. Multi-hued flame surrounds the cultist for one minute until the cultist is incapacitated or dies. Or until the cultist extinguishes the flame, no action required. While inflamed, the cultist has telepathy with a range of 30 feet, and it can teleport as a bonus action up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space it can see. In addition, every creature that starts its turn within five feet of the cultist must make a DC 15 dexterity saving throw, taking 16 or 3d10 radiant damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. I think this is the coolest of the blessings. It, it did just, seem pretty it's cool. It's the most sparkly glowy. The like multi-hued it. flame. Indeed. It's a cool flavor. Indeed. A hot flavor. Sorry. It's fire. <laughs> Warning Kynans also gives us five different kind of star spawns spewed forth from these Elder Evils. We have the star spawn Gru, the star spawn Hulk, the star spawn Larva Mage, star spawn Mangler, and star spawn Seer. Let's briefly go over each. We'll tackle stat blocks at the end of the episode. Yes. Starting with the Starspawn Gru, feigned and lipless, the ever-grinning, eerily staring Gru lopes about on spindly legs and long arms. Bristles and spines project from odd patches in its grayish skin, and its long fingers end in broken and dirty nails. Grus are the weakest of the Starspawn. A host of writhing, scrambling Grus typically accompanies more powerful Starspawn. Their constant chittering and shrieking produce discordant uh, psychic energy that disrupts thought patterns in other creatures, which experience flashing colors 
hallucinations, disorientation, and waves of hopelessness. Oh. So they're like psychic, like uh, minions, basically. Yeah, they're, they're your they're your minion horde. Okay. Yeah, the zombies, mm-hmm. the foot soldiers. Yeah. Next up, we have the Starspawn Hulk. The Hulk is one of the largest of the known Starspawn with glistening, translucent skin. Yeah, it basically looks like it. Basically, looks kind of like a, a skinless man. Cool. So he's like, you got that anatomy. You got the the muscles and the viscera and all that. You just see it out in the open. That's exciting. So um, the 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 figure in your anatomy textbook has emerged to attack you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Got you. Pale and seemingly lidless eyes glare balefully from a face distorted by too many teeth and too little nose. Ah. Uh, hulks are, hulks are sent, seldom encountered without a commanding star spawn seer uh, nearby. A hulk appears to have little will of its own and is driven to protect its master. Mm-hmm. So it's your mindless brute. Yeah. So your bodyguard. <clears throat> Right. Next, we have the Star Spawn Larva Mage. A larva mage is a nightmarish combination of a mortal body and otherworldly substance. When a powerful cultist of a worm-like entity, such as Caius or Kezef, usually a warlock or other spellcaster, contacts the comet-born emissary of an elder evil, the emissary can merge with a mortal consciousness to create a larva, larva mage. None of the original cultist personality survives the transformation. What emerges is wholly alien. Yeah, it just takes your whole stuff converts every piece of you indeed next we have the star spawn mangler a mangler is a low slung creeping horror with multiple gangly arms it most often has six arms but can have any number from four to eight manglers creep along the ground or the walls sticking to shadows and hiding in spots that seem too shallow or well lit to conceal anything they appear smaller than their true size thanks to their hunched posture and emaciated frames cultists summon these creatures to serve as guards and assassins two roles at which they excel. They also kind of serve as scouts as well. They're like scout assassin. Yeah, or just creatures. like the shock factor. Hey, yeah. Like, hey, yeah. hey uh, Star Spawn Mangler, can you go freak out that oncoming party? <laughs> and just fucking like no sticky handing the walls. Yeah. Like crawling up them. Yeah. Oh, God. this is. I hate this one the most so far. <laughs> okay. Uh, lastly, we have the Star Spawn Seer. A Star Spawn Seer is most often encountered as the leader of a cult dedicated to one or more elder evils. Usually the Seer is the only cult member that grasps the full extent of the horror the cult is venerating. The seer's goal is to tap into vast energy sources and perform the dire rites that will extend a bridge between the material plane and the squirming chaos of the Elder Evil's realm. The entity that appears as a star spawn seer in the material plane usually arrives disembodied. When a warlock or other spellcaster establishes communication with it, the seer entity takes control of the mortal, transforming it into a star spawn seer. Whoever the mortal once was largely vanishes beneath the mass of tumorous skin, uh, then builds up that builds up in strange worlds all over the seer's body uh the mortal hands become bulky flipper-like appendages able to grasp the seer's strange staff formed of a blend of flesh bone and star stuff Ew. that's very gross yeah i hate it yeah i'll say the the star spawn of 5e are gross the stars of the star spawn of 4e are cool a star spawn seer is almost always accompanied by one or more star spawn hulks. Uh, not only is a hulk a powerful combatant, but when a seer deals psychic damage to a hulk, the hulk is not hurt. The effect ricochets off and expands to assault other creatures. So, like, it serves almost like as a psychic booster. Ah, uh, okay. That I, I was thinking about. That reminds me of Super Quest Saga, where um, uh-huh. I think you, did you use one of these a hulk? Or, uh, I don't remember using a Hulk. The only star spawn I remember using is spoilers for behind the scenes of Super Quest Saga. But remember the, the first Carter fight? Yeah. No, the second Carter fight. And you needed some extra help because yeah. things were not going your way. Yes. I slipped you the star spawn grew and said, dude, just add five of these. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Um, but there was there was a creature where I was able to like read the stat blocks, and I was like, oh, okay, because also spoilers, I, I DM twice in that game, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and I. I hit a monster with a psychic attack and it, it ricocheted and bounced off. So maybe you used it. I, I never used one though. But you're the one that prepped the fight. Uh, I, you just handed me the stuff. Which I might... was very cool, but I don't remember, man. It was so yeah, long ago. I, there's there's saga buffs out there that are like, yeah. I've listened to that episode five fucking times. I can't believe Thank you guys you. don't remember. I super appreciate it. Yeah, we it. do, but I I'ma set it and forget it. I lived it, I played it, I had a lot of fun, and now I'm on the other side. Yeah. I just don't remember, but I kinda vaguely remember some of the things you're talking about. One day I'll go back and listen to everything again. I'm yeah. sure it'll be a, a blast. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'll go listen to Super Quest Saga. It's a it's a blast. It's a fucking it's a blast. It's a really good show. <laughs> it really is a good show. D&D I really campaign. enjoy it. Yeah. All right, Brian, are you ready? Yeah. It's fourth edition lore time. Take me back to the fourth. Uh, I also have a little bit of rant, so here we go. Ah. For the folks out there that get mad at me when I talk about how 4E has its own lore, because they're like, Forgotten Realms doesn't have separate 4E and 5E lore. It's all one continuity. Let me clarify. It's time for a history lesson. When the folks over at Wizards of the Coast decided to create 4th edition, they didn't just decide to up even overhaul the mechanics of the game, which they did, trust me. Yeah, they sure they de- did. They decided to come up with an entirely brand new 4E setting, mm-hmm. one entirely divorced from Greyhawk, Planescape, Spelljammer, and yes, even Forgotten Realms. It was a setting with its own pantheon, uh, poached from across the other settings, of course, uh, its own origin story, cosmos, and history. I think that the idea was to make a setting for uh, D&D that would become, quote-unquote, the D&D setting. Mm-hmm. A setting to be synonymous with the game itself. All books in 4E that are not specifically published for a different setting were set in this setting and further expanded its world and mythos. Now, this setting does absolutely rock. I really love it. Um, it's really, really good and designed with the idea that players and DMs are going to need space to work and build inside of it. But there are a few problems. Uh, number one, the setting did not have a name. Players ca- came to call it the Points of Light setting due to the opening line describing the world as a dark and dangerous place with cities being mere points of light in the void. Uh, some others ca- came to call it the, the setting uh, Nintir Vale uh, due to the fact that Nintir Vale was one of the most commonly used regions for adventure modules of 4E. Again, a, a region completely made up for this setting. The next problem was the fact that the lore from 4E's new setting very often flew in the face of what came before it. It had no ties to tradition, so the writers went a bit crazy with it. This put off a lot of old-timers to the hobby. But third, and most egregiously, the biggest problem was how 4E's new setting affected Forgotten Realms specifically. So other settings like Dark Sun and Eberron are so far removed from other more traditional settings that it was very easy for them to completely ignore 4E's vanilla setting entirely, mm-hmm. uh, which in hindsight is probably why those two settings got so much limelight during the 4E days. I'm currently playing in a Dark Sun setting right now in 4th edition. Uh, Forgotten Realms, on the other hand, has always tried to make itself in line with the most current lore. Uh, For- Forgotten Realms has a tendency to just go with whatever the most current editions say and retcon as necessary. But with 4th edition, that was nearly impossible. But they tried anyways. Uh, I'm sure a Forgotten Realms expert could say a lot more on this topic than, than me because I'm not one. But my understanding is the novels, the novels suffered terribly for the amount of retconning, shoehorning, and rewriting uh, the setting was put through by Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, you, you just want to do a reboot when you do stuff like that. You don't want to go back and change things yeah. that people have come to like love and adore and respect about right like, in its flaws and its 
uh, you know, championing. Precisely. You, know, you don't want to do that. So I believe even R.A. Salvatore and Ed Greenwood were actually pulled into a meeting and were tasked with spearheading a lot of these changes. And, and they were incredibly stressed out and scratching their heads like, how, how are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, once 5e became imminent, the sundering happened and most things that got put back in their place pre-4th edition. Not everything, but most, most things. Mm -hmm. uh, but now there was a new, albeit lesser issue. 4E led to some really cool and popular things that have no place in Forgotten Realms. But we've gone and made Forgotten Realms the default setting. What do we do? Gentlemen, get out your retcon pens and put on your shoehorning hats because we got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do the thing again. Again. God. Uh, I'm sorry that we've kind of got off topic here, but I've been wanting to get this out there for a while now. Uh, we should really do a 4th edition explained episode one of these days. Oh, that'd be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But let's get back to it with some 4E star spawn lore. But be warned, this is that good shit. Oh, that good, good, huh? Tell I like me. it. I think it's good. Tell me of it. Before his disappearance, the warlock Thulzar posed a question to the scholars and philosophers of his world. Why do some stars hate the world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> none, could, none could answer this question. Because the stars in their spawn have remained quiescent about what motivates their loathing. Why do you hate me? <laughs> I know, right? And then nothing, because <laughs> it's nothing. a fucking star. Exactly. <laughs> Distant stars glimmer in the reaches of the cosmos, pretending the advent of sinister creatures, the culmination of dark conspiracies and the occurrence of catastrophes. In the world, a green star flares brightly in the night, watched only by cloistered scholars and mad warlocks. With the sound of a thousand screams, a rift tears through the fabric of reality, releasing an aberrant monstrosity into the world. It surveys the surroundings and spots the glimmering of a lantern light by a nearby farm. The creature then creeps forward, advancing on its target. Starspawn come in all shapes and sizes, but most bear a resemblance of humanoid features. The stars are their only masters, although nihilistic cultists offer frenzied petitions to Starspawn. The creatures follow their, own, follow their own ambition. Warped by proximity to the Far Realm, the creatures have a purpose incomprehensible to even the most unbalanced humanoids. Regardless, one can be sure that the appearance of a Starspawn is a harbinger of terrible things to come. A silent war has persisted between the stars and the world for millennia. Sometimes called the Forgotten War, owing to the subtlety of the conflict compared to the Dawn War. This battle is more significant than most believe. Starspawn are the star soldiers in this battle, and through these creatures influence the world. The stars seek to unravel civilization and ultimately life itself. Damn. Okay. With the with the aid of powerful looking glasses, a few warlocks have dared to search the deepest parts of the sky for the answer to Thulzar's question. Those who have retained their sanity, who have seen the place where the far realm meets the oblivion of space, have seen dark, sinister creatures stirring. Forgotten by the gods and the primordials, these malevolent creatures wait for something. They watch as Alabar, the opener of the way, glides patiently across the sky, inciting, inciting the stars to war. Warlocks and sages know that when one looks up at the stars, some, st some stars glare back with hunger. When a star hangs in the correct position in the sky and its light strikes the world at precisely the right angle, the star spawn walk the world. Star spawn are utterly malevolent beings. The star spawn are creatures sent by the baleful stars of the night sky, accursed celestial objects that gaze upon the world with a mixture of hatred, anger, and hunger. The spawn are the avatars of these stars sent to wreak havoc. Some stars have only one spawn, but others manifest a multitude of creatures. The spawn of a particular star appear only once a year at most, but sometimes a spawn becomes trapped in a world and continues its depredations until slain. So that's one of the big differences between 4 and 5e. 5e gives us these like, hey, here's five types of spawn that could come from 
from any Elder Evil. Yeah. Before it was like, no, here's like five types of spawn for every single star that we're bothering to talk about, maybe like six or seven. So okay. you end up with a whole There's ton a more, and they're all unique. Yeah. It's so, really cool, but like, the, what a multitude of, of options. Oh, yeah. That's 4E's deal is a multitude of options. Mm. Uh, sometimes cults form around a star spawn. Some star spawns simply devour their worshippers, but others tolerate their presence and use them as allies. Warlocks who have a star pact flock to star spawn. That's another thing. So 4E was the first uh, edition to have the warlock as a player's handbook class. Okay. And it the three pacts that you could be from the player's handbook was the infernal pact, the fey pact, and the star pact. Cool. It wasn't it wasn't great old one or anything like that. It was all tied to the star lore. Interesting. It was pretty cool. And you did like radiant damage and shit. Oh wow. But you were but it was like tinged as evil, like right. evil radiant stuff. It was really interesting. Hmm. Um whether they serve, study, or slay them depends on a particular warlock's goals and attitudes. Starspawn are known to appear before great tribulations and at the converge convergence of unparalleled levels of power. During great wars, battles between divine beings, and the preparation of mighty rituals, the spawn appear across the land. So the main star that we're going to talk about today is Alabar, the opener of the way. But you should know that there are a few other stars with quite a bit of lore written about them. And my favorite is Kaifon, the Dream Whisperer. The star called Alabar, a wandering object known as the opener of the way, courses across the sky, causing the spawn of any stars it nears to manifest upon the world. Some believe that Alabar is a trickster star that merely spreads havoc between the world and its kin. Others claim that Alabar itself is the greatest of the stars, a strange being from beyond the world, manipulating the other stars to its own end. What that end could be and the role played by the star spawn, none has yet to guess. Before his disappearance, though, the warlock Thulzar claimed that he had successfully charted the incursions of all Starspawn since the fall of Bael Turoth. His research showed an emerging pattern, but he, his tower, and all his work simply vanished one starless night, leaving behind only a smooth, glass-coated crater. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. Alabar follows a seemingly random path, but when it draws near one of the other baleful stars, that star's spawn appear in the world. The wandering star avoids only Akamar because that object's hunger is so great it would destroy even the star that would open its path to the world. As it wanders the sky, Alabar seeks to fulfill a dire vision of the cosmos. In the early days of creation, the primordials created Alabar as a planet like the mortal world. The gods noticed the primordial's new creation and experimented with it, attempting to create a thinking, living planet. The gods managed to ignite a spark of life within the planet, but they feared the power that their creation possessed. Thus, they cast the planet away, uh, uh, the planet Alabar, into the Far Realm. So, in the Far Realm, Alabar was warped in body and mind, so when it returned to the cosmos millennia later, it came full of cunning and malevolence. In the intervening years, Alabar has instigated the star's hatred of the world. It has used its power to help create star spawn and transport them into the world to sow chaos. Its ultimate goal might be nothing short of the world's destruction, or it might plot something more sinister, perhaps to transform the world into a perverted semblance of life much like itself. Finally, as a side note, 4 provides dozens of star spawn types for many different types of stars whose difficulty range, uh, difficulty rating ranges from mid-level to epic level. Yeah, this is really awesome. Um, good job, 4E. But, uh, like, just the scope of it, it's so huge. Like, yes, very much. Oh, man, their lore is cool. Yeah, 4E does lore really well, even if it flies in the face of tradition or whatever came before it. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I wish, um, I mean, you can always just pick and choose your stuff. But yeah, definitely. To have it not be canon 
in today's D and D is like, oh man, like, what a I cool have heard, thing to just like leave by the wayside. I have heard rumors that they might bring back the setting as his own setting. Oh, that might be cool. Yeah, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard rumors that there might be a book coming out down the road. I mean, why not have like as many settings as you can get? Yeah, I, I don't see why you keep like beating the same sort of path. Yeah, uh, yeah. who's well, to say? I mean, yeah, we've had some misses with like Spelljammer and Indeed. et cetera, and now Planescape is coming up. Yeah, it's people seem kind of skeptical. They're about worried it. because of the yeah. past few editions, yeah. but I know like. There's been some winners too, like uh, Everyone Van Richten's was good, guide right? was good. Like Ravenloft is always good, but yeah. needs needs a refresher. Like some of the writing is like sort of stale in there, and and et cetera, some bad themes. But yeah, I, I don't know. I like this a lot. I hope this comes back as a setting. Yeah, I would love it. I would very much. I would immediately try and find an excuse to run a game in it again because cool. I love the old forty stuff. But anyways, let's take a short rest. Okay. It's the grand adventures of Alien and Beard. Oh, Hillian, that was that was quite the hike. Yes, that hill was steeper than I originally surmised. Who would have ever thought that so much cave would be behind this hill? <laughs> I'd have never found it, just simply looking. Absolutely. Ben, before we approach the Bacchus Borough, I need a I need to tell you. Yes, I, I also need to wash my hands again, please. What uh, what happened the... back there in Hagatha's hut? I don't want to talk about it. Just give me the hand sanitizer. Okay, here's the here's hand sanitizer. Thank you. Oh, my God. Let us never speak again of anything that happened or did not happen in the hut. I'm already not speaking of it. Good. Do, do you not get... We're on the same page, then. Just shut up. <laughs> Just shut up about it. I will. I'm sorry. Hey, okay. I'm sorry. I lost, I lost no, my... Crew. No, no. I lost my... No, crew. I was out of line. Uh, <laughs> I never thought that I would be the one bewildered. <laughs> Let's not talk about it, man. Yeah, you're right, you're right. All, All right. right. Well, uh, looks like we've made it. This is quite the impressive door. And, and what is this? Yes, a stone indeed. dial of sorts that breaches so far from left to right. It is an archaic and magical device, the likes of which I've seen only once before. Once before? Yes. Where? I believe... In my adventures, don't ask. It's you know, we don't have to get into details. Okay, I know but. you're very sensitive about your past. We're always looking towards the future. Keep moving forward. I understand that. The point is, sorry for bringing it up. You're you're forgiven, Bob. The point is, this door here, this archaic magical device, requires a password to breach. Is that what these dials are for? Yes. Just look. It looks like there are. You can enter characters. Indeed. In each each individual one, there are. There are several here. Yes, sir. Wait, quite, do you quite know, a few. Do you know the password, Helian? No, but I shall. Oh, great orb of ether's net. Please show me what I desire. A password for this device, for this door. It's so beautiful. Ah. Ah, yes, it's searching. Oh, I got a result. That's okay, weird. yes. Let me, uh... Did it just vibrate? Yes, it, it did a little bit. Oh. Um, I will, I will... I will now enter the password. It looks like the password is get reckoned for 2069. Okay. What does that mean? Uh, I, this password comes from a realm beyond our understanding, Ben. I'm sure that both the phrasing and the numbers have great significance. Yes, it seems it is case sensitive as well. Yes, I'm sure it's quite so. Okay, the password is entered. Ha! It's working! The door is opening! She been. I told you. Ilian, that was amazing. Thank you. Your knowledge of such things is so vast. Always so impressed. You're too kind. Uh, Wait a minute. 
There's a door behind this door. What is this? How dare it betray us? Oh, okay. Let's take a look at this. What do we got here, Ben? Something is forming on the door. Do you see it? Is it some sort of some sort of grid? There's some dark sorcery at foot here. Yes, but I've never seen anything like this. Look, look closely. Is it an image? Am I seeing this correctly? Yes, an image of a, a horse and carriage yes. riding through the a landscape, a idyllic pastoral landscape. It is a lake in the background. It seems to be divided into four by four square grid. Ah, interesting. Adventurers, I am the great beast of capture. You must identify the carriage in this image. Should you fail, I will deem you as a construct and you will not be allowed entry. You have three opportunities to succeed. This is some powerful magic afoot here, Ben. I've never seen a door that spoke to me in such a way. I've never seen a door behind a door, first of all, and then an image generating upon it in a grid. And now it's asking us to identify the carriage in the grid. That seems simple enough. Yes, it seems quite straightforward. Yes, uh, well, um, obviously this this square here, what do we do? Do, we, do I touch it? Go ahead. Okay, here I go. <laughs> Oh, oh, wow, wonderful. It illuminated. Okay, oh, so this border, this border seems to have uh, bolded itself, if you will. Okay, well, okay, go ahead and choose the rest of the carriage, Bear. All right, and here's the wheel, and here's the part where people sit, very quaint, and here's the part where people, you know, sit on top and, and drive the horse. Do I include the horses? I, uh, is the horse is part yes. of the carriage? Let's include the horse. The okay, carriage can't operate without the horse. Oh, this, is, this is interesting. It looks like the hoof here breaches just over into this square. Should I select this one as well? Yes. You, yeah, that appears to be part of the horse. I've selected almost every square. Does that seem, does that seem co correct? Are you, so, question, are you questioning me, Ben? I just want to make sure. Are you questioning I'm, the knowledge no, of this wizardly mind? Please, Ilian, please understand. I'm, I'm, new, I'm new at these types of things. I'm more questioning myself. I want to make sure that I've done what I'm supposed to do correctly here before we move forward. It seems like there's a button here down at the bottom that I can depress, if I'm seeing correctly, uh, with, it's a little check mark. It's, it, <clears throat> it seems like that is, would I be correct in seeing if I push this, that it would, it would submit our entry, so to speak? Press it. I'm gonna do it. Do it. Oh, oh my oh, oh, Ben, Ben, oh, are you okay? Oh, that hurt. That hurt it, a lot. It, it looked quite painful. Oh. It, it just electrified you. Oh, that's so bad. Oh. Uh. You have chosen incorrectly. You have two opportunities remaining. Okay, Ben. We appear to have gotten that one wrong. Yeah, it's all I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why we insisted on including the horse. But the horse is obviously not a carriage. It's, you know what? Now that you're saying that, and uh, the electricity coursing through my veins has has woken me, and you might you must be right. It must just be the can. There was that weird thing with the hoof. Okay, let's try again. Before right. before we try again, I feel this uh, this driving force to remind you why we're here. Do you remember what's inside this dungeon? <sighs> you know, I do love hearing the story. Over and you know, every time you tell me, it really like uh, so. I, I, my hand, it really, my nerve endings. I feel them. They are numb. Perhaps a story would get me back to to feeling good about touching this door again, the second evil door. This dungeon before us, Backersboro, 
holds the artifact, the pendant of plenteous patrons. I love that pendant. I've never seen it, but uh, I want to so it bad. It's said to house the souls of a thousand generous benefactors. I would do many things to have them pay for my acrylic paintings. And these generous benefactors would give us power beyond anything you could imagine. I would make the greatest capture image with my acrylic painting. I, I, I want very badly to retire and lakeside paint. As do I, but in order to do that, we need to get inside this dungeon, claim this pendant, and gain these patrons. Uh, my fervor is reborn. We will get it right this time. We will. Yes, we will. I'm, I'm certain that we uh, will. I'm going to touch the panels again. Go yeah. ahead. All right, here's... Uh, no horse, all carriage. Oh, no horse, all carriage, and then... Uh, boop, boop. All right, there it is. All horse, no, wait, all carriage. Yes, no all horse. carriage, no horse. Now I see here on the on the side, there seems to be a little bit of bleedage between this square and the square next to it. Do we want to include this this sliver of carriage? You know, or do you think it's it's a misleading? I'm not I'm not sure. I'm a little I'm a little scared because of what happened before, you understand? Yeah. Uh, but but you're right. It's just that this panel mostly includes horse, and we discussed not including it, but you're right. I see mm. right here, the bottom right part of the carriage. It is, you're it right, is in the though. square, but- It is mostly horse. Let's not include it. We've Yes, we've. I think we've encapsulated most of the carriage. I'll Indeed. Think of, should I, should I, I feel confident about this. I feel good. Do you feel good? Do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to press the check mark. Do it, Ben. <laughs> Oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, Bian, your eyebrows. so bad. Your eyebrows, oh, Bian. Oh, what What of my brows? They're sticking my on end. Morris brows. Oh, hold on. Oh, that's disgusting. I pointed them back down. My God. I can't let them be untamed. It's uh, part of my, my regales is not to have my eyebrows afoot. You understand how. That hurts so bad. Again. Yes, it looked like you took 3d10 lightning damage. Oh, shoot. That is so much. It's uh, quite a bit. Uh, you have one last opportunity. You two are starting to look like constructs to me. Venture carefully from here forth. You will not have another chance. Ben, we can't fuck this up again. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I just... Yes, it's all your fault. I... I'm not thinking straight. I'm, I'm worried about my eyebrows. I'm thinking a lot about you know the, what, the pendant of plenteous patrons. What is it? Allow me, the wizard. If if one of us is to complete this, it is likely me. And if this third one is to kill a soul, let it be me, the older, more wizened of the two of us. Helian, are you, are you sure? Yes, yes, I shall make that sacrifice. I, okay. You know, this is why we're great partners. Indeed, we're a dynamic duo. Quite. Now, behold, as I choose each square with a carriage inside of it, and also this one that is mostly horse, but slightly, slightly sliver of carriage. Your wisdom, it knows no bounds, Celian. And now, I press the button. Ilian, you've done it! Indeed I have. Brilliant you are in nature and in execution. <laughs> Fantastic. And now, Ben, it's time to claim that pendant of plenteous patrons. It smells like dust in there. Let's do it. Let's do it.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. We've returned. Indeed we have. We're fucking back. Indeed we are. In space. Indeed we are. Yeah. Well, not really. Yeah, not no, really. Are. no. <laughs> well, that's the 4th edition. 4th edition, it yeah, was kind of very space-centric, yeah. but um, I don't know. Well, this, we're going to read some 5th edition stat blocks, though. <clears throat> Indeed. So this is 5e, Star Spawn, starting with? The weakest. The Star Spawn grew, and then we will make very our nice. way progressively up the CR scale. So yeah. Star Spawn grew is I'm, a small... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm looking at the image right now, and I, I'm looking at a blue-gray, kind of zombie-ish looking dude covered in spikes rando spikes coming out he looks like he's going to like a rancid concert and he's smiling yeah he does and he's wearing uh yeah even the pants yeah yeah, i'm gonna tell you he's very punk rock and i'm into it i I like it too go ahead he's like missing a a, like a cheap watch sure (laughs) i don't know all right so the sparston stars sparston star spawn grew is a small aberration typically neutral evil its armor class is 11 its hp is 17 or 5d6 and its speed is 30 feet it's got a strength of minus two a dexterity of plus one a constitution of plus zero intelligence of minus one a wisdom of plus zero and a charisma of minus two very horde like uh damage immunities psychic there ain't no fucking brain for you to stab in there uh mentally uh senses dark vision 60 feet course passive perception 10 languages deep speech well deep speech huh 
Okay, not Far Realm. Got it. Well, no, deep speech is tied to aberrations a lot, like mind flayers. Oh, you're right. Speech. You're right about that. Now, on your psychic immunity thing, it's not that it doesn't have a brain. The idea is like it's so alien minded that like our brain damage stuff doesn't do anything to I it. See, all right. Well, it's a quarter uh, challenge rating for fifty XP. That's as low as it goes. Well, that's not true. There's zero. There is zero mm. challenge rating. And then the it's got a plus two proficiency bonus. It has the aura of shrieks. Creatures within 20 feet of the Gru that aren't aberrations have disadvantage on saving throws as well as on attack rolls against creatures other than a star spawn Gru. That's cool. That's fantastic to yeah. throw these guys in even in high level stuff. Yeah, you that just, ability's gonna Yeah, you have like a, a, a bit, you situations. have a few hulks and stuff, and just like six of these dudes around. And if you don't take care of them, you have to deal with their aura of shrieks. Right. You, you should take care of them. This is probably obviously the thing you should take care of first. Yeah. Kind of take them down in a single hit most of the time or two hits uh, if you are in high level combat. Uh, actions, confounding bite, melee weapon attack with plus three to hit, reach of five feet on one target. It's going to hit for six or 2d4 plus one piercing damage. And the target must succeed on a DC 10 wisdom saving throw or attack rolls against it have <clears throat> advantage uh, until the start of the Gru's next turn. Okay, that's interesting. 2d4 piercing and the target must succeed. Yeah, that's... Oh, yeah, against the target. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Sorry. Uh, so that's it for the Gru. Okay, cool. We'll move on to the Mangler. Uh, I like that its basic attack also has, like, a constant thing you'll have to save against. Yeah, that's they are definitely cool. one of the, like, more problematic mob creatures I, I like we've it. read. I think, I think that one's well designed. Yeah, I think so, too. Star Spawn Mangler is a medium aberration, typically chaotic evil. Its armor class <laughs> is 14. Its HP is 71. That's 13 D8 plus 13. Its speed is 40 feet and has a climbing speed of 40 feet. This one's much more aggressive. Yes. Well, it's, yeah, it's very strong. Strength is, mi <laughs> well, strength is minus one. Uh, dexterity is plus oh, four. Oh, I'm sorry. You're reading the Mangler. I was looking at the Hulk. My bad. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're on the Mangler because we're going by CR rating. Yes. Uh, well chosen. Um, yeah. Minus one strength, plus four dex, plus one con, plus zero intelligence, plus one wisdom, and minus two charisma. Uh, the saving throws on this one is going to be a dex plus seven and a constitution plus four. Mm. Uh, skills, stealth <clears throat> plus seven. So very sneaky, sneaky. These are the ones that crawl all over the walls and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're the assassin They're ones. nasty. They've got like centipede feet on them Why too. do they remind me of Randall from Monsters, Inc.? Because they got that slimy, slinky body. <laughs> okay, and, like, for the sure. Weird claw legs. <laughs> uh, damage resistance, cold. Damage immunities, psychic. <clears throat> Condition immunities, charmed, frightened, prone. Senses, dark vision, 60 feet. Passive perception is 11. Speaks deep speech. Challenge rating is 5, yielding 1,800 experience points. Proficiency bonus is a plus 3. Ambusher. The mangler has advantage on initiative rolls. Cool. I always like uh, being good at initiative in, in games. Indeed. Uh, actions, multi-attack. The Mangler makes two claw attacks. The claw attack is a melee weapon attack with plus seven to hit. Reach of five feet on one target. It's going to hit for eight or 1d8 <clears throat> plus four slashing damage. If the attack roll has advantage, the target also takes seven or 2d6 psychic damage. So they can psychic damage you, mm -hmm. but you can't psychic damage nope. them. Indeed. Flurry of claws <clears throat> recharges on a five or a six. The Mangler makes six claw attacks. Either before or after these attacks, it can move up to its speed without provoking opportunity attacks bonus action is a shadow stealth while in dim light or darkness the mangler takes the hide action that's cool mm -hmm. so uh a fun fun little boost in action economy here with some variety i like this yeah again it's interesting i like it 
Now we have the Star Spawn Hulk, large aberration, uh, typically chaotic evil. It's an armor class of 16 natty. HP is 136, 13 <clears throat> D10 plus 65. Its speed is 30 feet. Strength plus five. So this is a strong boy. Yeah. Dex this is minus one. Con plus five. Intelligence minus two. Wisdom plus one. Charisma minus one. Slightly more charismatic <clears throat> than the other two. <laughs> I don't see how. Are you looking at this thing? Yeah, I'm looking at it. Maybe because it looks like a jello monster a little it bit. It kind of looks like a jello monster. Saving throws are plus three to Dex and a plus five to Wisdom. That comes in handy for a plus three dex saving throw on a minus one dex stat it's fun yeah um well they probably just had the no the proficiency bonus doesn't really cover that so oh yeah they're just balancing it out a little bit oh no it does it does the plus four turns the negative one into a plus three that's fair okay cool so skills perception is plus five it's got damage resistances to bludgeoning piercing and slashing <clears throat> from non-magical attacks uh condition immunities char charmed and frightened uh, senses, dark vision, 60 feet. Passive perception is 15. That's very good. Mm -hmm. Deep speech. And then challenge rating is 10 at uh, 5,900 experience points. Yeah, the bonus proficiency bonus is plus four, as you mentioned. Uh, psychic mirror. If the Hulk takes... Uh, yeah, I definitely did use this monster in Super Quest Saga. If the Hulk takes psychic damage, each creature within 10 feet of the Hulk takes that damage instead. The Hulk takes none of the damage. In addition, the Hulk's thoughts and location can't be discerned by magic. I remember now. Yeah, I gave you a Hulk and a Mangler. That's yeah, what it yeah. was. And yeah. I was bouncing psychic magic yeah, off of the Hulk to I remember. hit the party because yeah. they mobbed it. Yeah. But it, it didn't put out as much damage as I thought it would. It, yeah. If if I had more psychic input going <clears throat> to it, then <clears throat> it would have been a lot better. But it was a cool idea. <clears throat> um, Multi-attack, the Hulk makes two slam attacks if both attacks hit the same target, the target also takes 9 or 2d8 psychic damage and must succeed on a DC 17 constitution saving throw or be stunned until the end of the target's next turn. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you just rolled really bad. I uh, rolled really bad in all of the Carter stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stunned is a, a stunned creature is incapacitated, can't move, and can speak uh, only falteringly. The creature automatically fails strength and dex saving throws. Attack rolls against the creature have disadvantage. Uh, let's see here. Slam attack. Melee weapon attack with plus nine to hit. Reach of 10 feet. One target. It's going to hit for 14 or 2d8 plus five bludgeoning damage. And then we have the reaping arms, which is going to recharge on a five or six on the d6. The Hulk makes a separate slam attack against each creature within 10 feet of it. Each creature that is hit must also succeed on a dc17 <coughs> saving throw or be knocked prone. Now that was the, when we used it, that was the bread and butter for yeah, this guy. Because yeah. you really wanted to do this attack over and over again. Yeah. So, well, it's on a recharge, but yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, you, you know, you want it to recharge to get that output. Or I, when I say want to, I mean, like, to make my monster do a good combat. Right. Uh, right you know, right. you don't really want necessarily to win, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. guess. I don't know. Uh, the I want the dice to tell me who wins and loses, right? Give the opportunity to the players <clears throat> to win. Yeah. Uh, now we have the Star Spawn Seer, which is a medium aberration, typically neutral evil. Its armor class is 17 Natty. HP is 153 or 18 D8 plus 72. Its speed is 30 feet. Strength is a plus 2. Dex plus 1. Con plus 4. Intelligence plus 6. Wisdom plus 4. And Charisma plus 3. Yeah. What a beefcake. Yeah, he's pretty beefy. Uh, saving throws. Dexterity <clears throat> plus 6. Intelligence plus 11. Wisdom plus 9. And Charisma plus 8. Its skills are Perception at a plus 9. Damage resistance to cold, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. Damage immunity to psychic. 
conditioned immunities to charm and frighten, just like the Hulk. <clears throat> and its senses are dark vision, 60 feet, passive perception, 19. Languages, common, deep speech, and undercommon. So two additional languages. Mm -hmm. Challenge rating is 13. It yields 10,000 experience points. Its proficiency bonus is a plus five. So this thing can serve as a big bad for like a, a campaign that's only going to go to like, I don't know, like level seven or eight or so. Like yeah, I think that would be accurate. Late, what is it, second tier or whatever it's called. Yeah, like this, this uh, uh, what do you call it? Like... Um, ambitious star spawn seer has come mm -hmm. down with like a, a a fair you know squadron yeah and they they're they're about to perform a ritual that's going to bring their dark god into this world very cool <clears throat> i like that or like you know it's going to burst out of their chest or whatever oh yeah they're birthing style. it themselves oof, oof. uh out of phase movement the seer can move through other creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain, and its movement doesn't provoke opportunity attack. That'd be cool shit talking like, you're nothing but difficult terrain to me, and then he fucking moves through <laughs> you. <laughs> Each creature it moves through takes uh, five or 1d10 psychic damage. No creature can take this damage more than once per turn. So it can't just like fucking bob <laughs> around you for all of its movement. That's that's smart. Yeah. Uh, the seer takes five, d uh, five or 1d10 force damage if it ends its turn inside of an object i imagine it also gets ejected out into the next adjacent that's spot. usually what gets written but yeah it's not written maybe there, he's but just like yeah. phasing in you like ah! yeah i kind of like that i think that's crazy yeah that's, ah, that's and then appropriate you're, you're stabbing it as it's like in, in your space yeah yeah everyone's taking psychic damage <laughs> chaos this isn't pleasant for anybody i know right like how does it, we address uh, your friends attacking in that five foot space as well, and you're like sharing, yeah, sharing the same space. That becomes too powerful. I would just eject it. Yeah, honestly, I think so. For yeah. simplicity's sake, um, the actions we have a multi attack. The seer makes two comet staff or psychic orb attacks. The comet staff is a melee weapon attack with plus eleven to hit, a reach of five feet on one target. It's gonna hit for ten or one d eight plus six bludgeoning damage plus eighteen or forty eight psychic damage, and if the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC nineteen Constitution saving throw or be incapacitated until the end of its next turn. Psychic Orb is a ranged attack spell with plus eleven to hit, a range of one hundred and twenty feet, and it's gonna hit one creature for twenty seven or five d ten psychic damage. These are cool. Like you got a barbarian that's really fucking your shit up. Like hit him with all the psychic. Yeah. Fuck up their mind. Uh, collapse distance. It's going to be on a recharge of six. The seer warps space around one creature it can see within 30 feet of it. That creature must make a DC 19 wisdom saving throw. On a failed save, the target along with any equipment it is wearing or carrying is teleported up to 60 feet to an unoccupied space the seer can see. And then each creature within 10 feet of the target's original space takes 39 or 60, 12 psychic damage. On a successful save, the target takes 19 3d12 psychic damage and is not teleported. Mm, That's strong. Mm, I like it. Very strong. Uh, for the reaction, there is bend space. When the seer would be hit by an attack roll, it teleports along with any equipment it is wearing or carrying, exchanging positions with another star, uh, another star spawn it can see within 60 feet of it. The other star spawn is hit by the attack instead. Oh, oh nice. Cool. So it can use his minions. That's great. Yeah. Um, the shields. That's fantastic. I love it. I do want to say that this creature is not wearing shoes. It doesn't need shoes. I guess not. Other creatures are just difficult terrain to it. 
I guess so. <laughs> yeah, this thing like it's got a lot floating? of things going on besides not having shoes. Like its entire torso <laughs> looks like a tumorous, cancerous, malformed amalgamation of bullshit with tendrils coming out of every orifice. I was in D and D Beyond reading the reaction portion, and it's like right next to the feet. I was like, ugh. <laughs> All I can think about was Ilian and Beern. Oh yeah, yeah. the nasty hag. Yeah, oh god, they don't uh, talk about that. We don't talk about that. <laughs> uh, then finally, we have the star spawn larva mage. My personal favorite. Medium aberration, typically chaotic evil, with an armor class of sixteen. Natty. HP is one hundred sixty-eight. Sixteen D eight plus ninety-six. Speed is thirty feet. Uh, strength plus three. Dex plus one. Con plus six. Intelligence plus four. Wisdom plus one. Charisma plus three. Comparable to the last thing we just read. Saving throws, dexterity plus six, wisdom plus six, charisma plus eight. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, high charisma coming out. Yeah, this thing's like a powerful, it's a warlock ass. Very strong. Yeah. Uh, skills, perception plus six, damage resistances, cold, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks, damage immunities, psychic, condition immunities, charmed, frightened, paralyzed, petrified, poison, and restrained. Senses, dark vision, 60 feet, passive perception is 16, highest so far. Languages, deep speech, challenge rating is 16, yielding 15,000 experience points with a proficiency bonus of plus five. Very cool. We have Return to Worms. When the mage is reduced to zero hit points, it breaks apart into a swarm of insects. See the monster manual. In the same space, unless the swarm is destroyed, the mage reforms uh, reforms from it 24 hours later. So real quick, I'm going to pull up the swarm and see how fast it is. So uh, it's only got a speed of 20 feet, so it's not going to outrun anything. Yeah, but it's there. It's gonna oh, it doesn't have climb. It should have fly. It's a swarm of insects. I think you should give it fly. Yeah, let it fly. Because, like, you want the chance for this thing to get away, right? Yeah, what is it like uh, when it says swarm of insects, like a pile of ants fall on the floor? Right, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, I would give it, uh, yeah, I don't know. i give them wings. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and what, just 20-20? Yeah, I'd just do 20 across okay. the board because that seems to be what it what it does. Yeah. Actions. Multi-attack. The mage makes three slam attack, slam or eldritch bolt attacks. I always find it weird when they give these caster types slam attacks or punch or fist or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's to like keep it more balanced depending on situational stuff. Maybe. Uh, slam is going to be a melee weapon attack plus 8 to hit, reach of 10 feet for one target. It's going to hit for 7 or 1d8 plus 3 bludgeoning damage. And the target must succeed on a DC 19 constitution saving throw or be poisoned until the end of its next turn. Um, just a fair warning, poisoning your players makes combat last a bajillion years. Because they start missing everything. It's you're not wrong. God, poison is like not just like I don't know. I'm annoyed by poison in this game. Uh, conditions in Five E suffer from the fact that they tend to fall into the category of either granting you the enemy advantage or you disadvantage, and mm-hmm. it just gets really yeah. Same-y. Yeah, because you don't want to add like too much to track, so you mm-hmm. just like default to those options. Right. See. Eldritch Bolt range spell attack is plus eight to hit with a range of sixty feet on one target. Uh, the hit is going to do 19 or 3d10 plus 3 force damage. I will say that's pretty good damage output because I can do three of these a turn, right? So that's a total of 90, 10 plus 9 force damage out of this thing around if it hits with everything. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of people in your party are going to be resisting a lot of this damage Mm -hmm. output for these higher level ones. Mm -hmm. Um, I I will... um, 
I will also say that like if you're just poisoning one person, that might not be so crazy. You but that's I mean? hard. If you have a creature that's poisoning, it's probably going to poison whoever it's fighting. You know. Yeah, it really just depends. Um, it's a balancing act, and like there's great times to use it and and bad times to use it. Yeah, just know that if you like poison everybody before a combat, that it's going to last a bajillion longer years. <laughs> combat and five E is already too long. Four E uh, is longer. I will say that it is longer, but it's, it's longer, way more, but more fun. interesting. It's way more interesting. Yeah, like it's meant. It's longer because there's more decisions to make and there's more options. More like, interesting things happen every turn. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I really do think that it is superior. Um, play like my time is well more well spent on a four E combat. I agree. I agree. Uh, Plague of Worms recharge of six. Each creature other than a star spawn within ten feet of the mage must succeed on a DC nineteen dexterity saving throw or take twenty two five d eight necrotic damage and be blinded and restrained. By masses of swarming worms. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, it is. The affected creature takes 22 five or 5d8 necrotic damage at the start of each of the mage's turns from the worms. The creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself on its success. You are going to want to do that. Plague of Worms is a cool attack, except mm-hmm. it's a bunch of worms. It's gross. Mm-hmm. And then it's got basic spell casting. The mage casts one of the following spells requiring no material components and using charisma as a spell casting ability. Spell save DC is 16. At will, mage hand, message, minor illusion. And once a day, it can dominate monster. Which is a good one. That's a good one to have. Yeah, dominate monster is a cool spell. Reactions. Feed on weakness. When a creature within 20 feet of the mage fails a saving throw, the mage gains 10 HP. Ooh, I love that. For no fucking reason. It doesn't, like, siphon it. It, it draws just gains on it. the psychic energy. <laughs> Did you fail your save? Mm, delicious. Indeed. Mm, yeah. I can taste your failure in the air. <laughs> and it's got legendary actions. Uh, the mage can make three legendary actions choosing from the options below. Only one legendary action option can be used at a time and only at the end of another creature's turn. The mage regains spent legendary actions at the start of its turn. Slam. The mage makes one slam attack. Maybe that's why it has a slam attack, so it can do it. It could just fucking fuck you up all the time. Yeah, I mean, four around, or it's more than four around because that only costs one action. So they can max out at six slams around. It's a lot of slamming. Yeah, but the Eldritch Bolt. That's two actions. The mage makes one Eldritch Bolt attack, which is cool. And then feed. Costs three actions. Each creature restrained by the mage's plague of worms takes 13 or 3d8 necrotic damage, and the mage gains six temporary hit points. So it has to be six temp per per target, right? Uh, yeah. Each creature restrained by the mage's plague of worms takes 13, and the mage gains. Uh, I don't know. Because I think it, the thing is here, it, it costs all three of your legendary actions. That means it's the only thing you're going to get to do off turn. Yeah. And it only can be used if you're rechargeable only on a roll of six. Plague Worms has restrained a bunch of people. So Yeah, for, I think for every 13 damage you do, you should gain six. I, I agree. I, I feel like it should really feel like, holy shit, like, we yeah. got to do something. And the tides have turned. I've mentioned it before, like, how a little bit of healing in 5e goes a long way. That mm-hmm. that goes for the monsters as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, healing, like, 18 HP on 168 HP pool is like pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. As a reaction. Yeah, especially because as you did it, you also did damage to all those people. Or not a reaction, a legendary action. Yeah. Which is like a reaction, but different. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, like just doing that, like passive healing, really, really, really good. Yeah. Um, and that's it for all our stat blocks. So I think uh, I like the Starspawn Larva Mage, like, flavor-wise. Like, I love what it is, mm-hmm. and this image is fantastic. Yeah, it is a cool-looking, um, like, robed mask creature I, with, like, worms. It's made of worms. Like It's like Oogie Boogie without a sack. 
but he's wearing a robe. It's like a hoogie boogie with that sack. Yeah, that's absolutely right. But I got to say, I think the stat block for Star Spawns here takes winner for me as the most interesting stat block that we've read in a while. Like, yeah. I think it's a really, really good stat block. This I think is all these stat blocks are, are pretty well yeah. scaled. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Do you have anything you want to add before we call uh, it? Uh, no, I think, we, I think we've covered it. Um, I... I do like 5e Star Spawn. I know I've been talking shit the whole episode. I do like them. I think they're cool. It's just on um, brand for I you. I just think it's really funny that they they had to change it. Otherwise, it wouldn't fit Forgotten Realms. And if it mm -hmm. doesn't fit Forgotten Realms, then they won't do it. Right. Uh, unless they're doing a different setting specifically. Um, but that being said, it's still really cool. And I think both can even be intermingled and work together pretty well. Okay. But but yeah. So yeah, that's all I got. All right. Let's take a long rest. Let's take a long rest. Hey everybody, welcome to the Long Rest. This is the part of the show where we're gonna we're gonna I don't know fucking go to space. What is it for the five E ones? They're not space. They're what? That's complicated, Brian. I, I explained it in the first half of the episode. I know I got lost in the. It could be a lot of sauce. things. It could be a lot of things. Yeah. Um. You know, like I said, some of these elder evils are primordial. Shows up or like yeah. It, and even that's up to you. Um. I'm gonna have to re-listen. I think to like the idea is you want to use them in, for fifth edition lore purposes. When it comes to like eldritch beings that are not necessarily well defined, you yeah, know what I mean, like the extra categorical thing. I remember yeah. that part. Okay, yeah. well, uh, thank you, patrons. That was super interesting. Um, that was a great topic to pick. I didn't realize that this thing was just sitting here in in D and D, like so many things that we've covered, especially in Year of the Artifact. I'm I'm just like, there's more. There's so much more in D and D left. Uh, Bro, like, when we started this podcast, I was like, dude, the topics won't ever end. Yeah. Won't ever end. Won't ever end. We're just gonna keep <laughs> casting. So uh thank you, patrons. I'm gonna like contemplate my life and all the things we talked about in this episode because it's a lot of information, a long day for for us. So we are going to shout you out now. Indeed. The people that have come. Uh thank you, applesauce. Thank you, applesauce. Woo! Woo! <laughs> thank you, breathing blues. Thank you, Breathing Blues. Woo! Woo! Thank you, DJ Dungeon Master. Thank you, DJ Dungeon Master. Woo! Woo! Thank you, Nolan Overton. Thank you, Nolan. They've, they've returned, William. A slacker named I Jack. I know. I know. I think I spoke with them in a message. Annual subscriber. Nope. No? No, nope. it's just, okay. Yep. Sorry, I'm getting my... Just a high tier. Just super high tier. Yeah. Super mega ultra high. And thank you, Richie Castle. Thank you, Rich Castle. Uh yeah, I was uh, um it's been a little bit slow on the podcast side for everything, but thank you guys so much for coming in and and shelling out that support. We really, really appreciate it. Um, Indeed, we do. Yes, yeah, so thank you guys. Uh, keep voting for the new patron stuff. Um, yeah, the new the new suggestion thread is live right now. Um, poll's probably going to go live in about a week. By the time you're hearing this, it it'll, it'll just be going live probably. Yeah, Will's been back on the social media train. He's been posting some cool stuff. I was hitting that like button. So if you guys want to follow us on IG on at the Dungeon Cast, or if you want to follow me, I'm at Sounds Good Inc. or Sound Good Inc. And uh, you can also find us on like all Mastodon, of those. Yeah, all we're the, on Threads. We're on the site formerly known as Twitter. We're in a lot of places. <laughs> we're in a lot of places. Go find us. It's one third of porn. X. <laughs> <laughs> Elon so Musk is weird. Anyway, uh, 
yeah, we're on we're on social. You can find I mentioned it earlier, but you can find our Discord. Uh, a lot of stuff is in the links below. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, last time we had some mail to read. I wasn't able to make it to the PO box for this episode, but next episode I should be able to make it to the PO box sometime this week. So if there's anything there. Uh, we'll be reading it on the next episode. Thank you guys so much who have sent mail out and packages and stuff. We really appreciate it. That's some of the stuff Will's been sending pictures of. And if you're on YouTube, you can check out some of like the little minis that we've been sent that are fucking epic and excellent and are hand-painted in some cases. And, like a bunch of stuff. Friend of the show, Josh Freeland has got us, is, is up on the on the front. I'd love to put uh, some more stuff up there. So um, if you guys have anything you want to, to send us, we would be happy to receive it that um address is in the notes below uh we did uh social we did discord uh check out star seeker's guide to dragon star a book that uh mostly will is writing that is uh coming along quite well indeed um and yeah by the time you're hearing this the uh, version uh the beta version 3.0 will be out it's a ver it's a beta i'm very proud of um it's got a uh, detailed weapon and armor for a futuristic sci-fi setting. It's got a new combat system that can be attached to pretty much any combat system out there called the Trinity system that I'm really proud of. It's got a few new subclasses, including the Circle of Primals Druid, which is kind of like a summoner Pokemon trainer druid. It's got the Circle of the Galactic Spirit Druid, which is basically Percy's character for Super Quest Saga. Mm -hmm. And it's got a new fighter called the Glyph Warden Fighter, which is kind of my take on the 4th edition Sword Mage brought to 5e. And it's got it's got a few other things going on, too. So, yeah, check out Star Seeker's Guide to Dragon Star. You can still get in on the beta because we're, we're testing all the way up into the end here. So if you go to, uh, to pre-order a book, it will allow you to get in on the beta tier. Yeah, uh, like if you missed the Kickstarter and you, you want a copy of this thing, you can go to the backer kit and, and check it out there and uh, get yourself a copy. So uh, we're also doing a giveaway of Baldur's Gate 3, a video game that's coming out that's D&D based and has all a lot of the classes. Uh, so you, you're going to want to go to YouTube, hit the subscribe button, like one of the videos and leave a comment. That'll get you entered. It doesn't matter what video, uh, anything we make. There's stuff there that isn't the podcast that uh, we've worked hard on and and accumulates views and is useful hopefully to people that like the game uh so yeah check out what our youtube channel has to offer we're not like super active on there outside of what we do for the show right now but maybe one day we will be again but that's where we are hosting the giveaway because we are approaching fifty thousand subscribers uh a, a big milestone for any youtube channel it's taken us a long time to get there because we're not pr like i said primarily a youtube channel but we are still super proud of the work that we put in for that side of the show and thank you for everybody that um goes on and leaves a comment we read most of them or all of them that we can and try to respond and be interactive with you guys next episode we will be reading uh podcast reviews and youtube comments off of uh you know whatever given episode we decide to check out there have been some cool ones especially with everybody chiming in off of baldur's gate 3 stuff so if you want to win your copy of baldur's gate 3 we'll buy it for whatever system that you have and we'll reach out to you when the time comes um, when we hit that 50k mark, we're gonna give out a copy. So, and we're getting close. I think uh, as of the time we're speaking right now, we have we're at 48,500. So we're 1,500 away. We're we're getting real close. We're right there. So if you uh, if you guys want to help us out, that'd be that'd be really great. Uh, like you said, it's a big milestone for um, for a YouTube channel, and it does it gives us it gives us that fucking clout. <laughs> honestly that's what it's that's what it's doing so uh on that note leaving an apple podcast review or a, a review on any platform that you listen to the show on is very very useful and and getting us that fucking clout uh and it helped basically it just helps us get visibility on the show and helps 
people learn about our show and and you know get new listeners and help people learn about what D and D is and and get them involved and you know learn to be a better dungeon master. You know, tell them what tell them what you got to tell your friends. Tell your friends what you what they got to hear to get in on the dungeon cast. Get that sweet dungeon cast <laughs> vibe up in their their D and D life. Uh, and I want to say thank you to the Realm Network for having us on. Um, I, a couple of people have said that they've heard our ads play on Dark Dice, and that's really cool. I think uh, Dark Dice ads are playing on our show now. Which is very also on really brand. cool. And, and to all the other Realm shows, I know we were, I think we got plugged at Comic-Con and stuff like that. So that's, that's fucking awesome. Thank you to, to Realm for giving us those opportunities. Um, we are seeing like more listeners coming to the show. So if you're new and you make it to this part of the episode, welcome, and I love you. I love you as well. Thank uh, you. Yeah, um, and then let me pull up this thingy so I make sure I don't uh, miss anything. Oh, yeah, I've been seeing people buy a lot of merch. we got a merch store. There's a link in, in the description below. Go check that out. Uh, we're also partnered with Diversity Saves. They're a 501c3 nonprofit organization created by a collection of BIPOC and LGBTQ plus members of the TTRPG community who are committed to the promotion and uplifting of marginalized communities in the tabletop role-playing game industry through promotion, education, and distribution of grants to help fund new projects led by marginalized creators. I think it's a great uh, nonprofit doing a great thing. And it's run by a bunch of great people that we know personally. So uh, go check it out. There's a link in the description for that as well. Um, there might be some other stuff in the description below that I'm just like not remembering right now. So go go look down there. <laughs> Tell me what you see. There is a lot down there. Uh, and I thank you guys. Uh, last note, thank you guys so much for um, giving us feedback on this, the Alien and Beeren skits. We love doing skits. And yeah, they're 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 like semi improv mostly. You're mostly like we get a little bullet points and then just kind of go for it yeah they're like 80 percent in bro yeah yeah it's a lot of fun we enjoy doing it i'm glad you guys enjoy listening to them so uh keep telling us that you love us and the stuff we do it fucking makes me feel good damn it indeed indeed it does <laughs> and we love doing it yeah thanks guys uh we'll catch you next time let's call it a game let's call it a game we'll talk to you guys later Ready? Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm William. This is the podcast where we talk about everything. <laughs> just going to go ahead and take this drink. Dude, no, <laughs> fuck you. I put that in airplane mode. It's asking you questions about airplane mode. <laughs> it's like, are you sure this is, where we're, this is where we want to be? I'm shutting the fuck off. This is bullshit. <laughs> Your phone just wants to be part of the, the show. <laughs> it does. It's it always like, wanted to be a part of the show. You need to take me out of airplane mode for that. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> God damn it. What did I even say? What did I say to make it like? It's just, just like you said, dungeon cast. my like, phone I... insists on being part of the episode. Okay. <laughs> Ready when you are. Oh. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.